Good morning. It's so good to be together this morning, isn't it? God has given us a beautiful day to spend time in worship to Him. Appreciate the time we've been able to spend in worship already. Those who have led us in our worship, we appreciate you and appreciate your talents so much. Leslie and I want you to know that we missed you last week. We had a good week in East Tennessee preaching in a gospel meeting right outside of Maryville, but we're glad to be back. Excited to be back together as we have this opportunity to spend some time in God's Word. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Jeremiah, the second chapter. Jeremiah chapter 2, and we're going to be studying in the text that was just read for us, the first eight verses of Jeremiah chapter 2. I heard a story one time from David Shannon, who currently serves as the president of Fried Hardman University. Whenever he was in college, he was working in a summer youth internship at a congregation outside of Tennessee where he was from. He was living with a faithful family in that congregation, a family of New Testament Christians. He tells the story that one day the mother was up cooking dinner, or rather cooking breakfast. It was breakfast time, unless when you look at that picture, maybe you'd want to have breakfast for dinner. But she was cooking breakfast, and a couple of her teenage sons were sitting at the table, waiting for breakfast to be served. President Shannon said he was searching through the refrigerator, trying to find some food. All of a sudden, as the mother is cooking breakfast, she gets a phone call. She puts breakfast on pause for just a second. She walks over, picks up the phone, and says hello. From the very beginning of the conversation, you could tell that something terrible had happened. You could tell that something was wrong. She would only respond in very short, concise questions with a look of panic and shock on her face. Who is this? What do you mean? What happened? Can, can, can you repeat that? Can you tell me again? Of course, everyone in the kitchen was all ears by now. As soon as she hung up the phone, she still had that shocked and panicked look on her face. Her sons were asking her, what's wrong? Who was that? What did they say? Was, was, was that a bad message or a good message? All that the mother could say is your brother Dustin has died. A couple years earlier, the oldest son in that family had passed away in a car accident. So this was a message that they had heard before, but of course, it's a message that you're never prepared for. So the, the sons, again, were just peppering her with questions. What do you mean our brother has died? What happened? Who was he with? What, what was he doing? What was wrong with him? And all that the mother could say as she started to cry is that your brother Dustin has died your brother Dustin is dead spiritually. Her sons got all over about it. How could you scare us like that? They breathed in a sigh of relief. Well, at least he's not really dead. He's not physically dead. He's just spiritually dead. How could you send us into a panic like that? And all that the mom could say is, no, your brother's dead. He's spiritually dead. A couple weeks later, President Shannon said that he asked this mother, which one is harder? Which one is more difficult? Is it more difficult to have a son who was spiritually alive, who was a faithful Christian, to die physically? 
Or was it more difficult to have a son who's alive physically right now, but dead spiritually? Without any hesitation whatsoever, the mother said, it is so much harder to know that my son is out in the world living without Jesus. She said, it's so much harder. It breaks my heart more and more every single day to know that my son is alive physically, but he's dead spiritually. Broken hearts. We all know what it feels like, don't we? We all know what it feels like to have a broken heart, whether it be from a breakup, that big high school or college breakup that you had, whether it be as a result of a divorce, whether it be as a result of a funeral, as you watch that casket lowered into the ground, whether it's from a very serious, bad, negative diagnosis from the doctor, we all know what it's like. We know what it feels like. We know how difficult it is to have a broken heart. But this morning, I want us to take the emphasis off of ourselves. This morning, let's take the emphasis off of our broken hearts. You know what breaks God's heart? You know what breaks God's heart more than anything else in this world? We know what it's like to be broken hearted. Do you know what makes God broken hearted? Just like the mother we talked about a moment ago. There's nothing that breaks God's heart more than for His children to be spiritually dead. There's nothing that breaks God's heart more than for His followers, His children, to live lives that are separated from Him. To be distanced from Him. To live in ways that He hasn't commanded. To live in ways that don't glorify His name, but rather walking in the paths of the world. Can I be very honest and blunt with you in the next few minutes? I know that there are many people in this auditorium who are doing all that they can to live faithfully to Jesus. And it's an everyday thing. It's who you are. It's your relationship with Jesus. It can be seen in everything that you do. It can be seen in everything that you say. Your priorities. How you live your life. And we appreciate that so much. It shouldn't be undervalued. It shouldn't be overlooked. We appreciate you so much living every day for Jesus. But can, can I tell you something else that I also know to be true? In this room, in this auditorium, in a group this size, I also know that there are some people who are not living that kind of life. I know that there are some people who are trying to hide their sin trying to cover up their sin and you feel ashamed every day. I know that there are some people who are living lives that don't glorify God, that aren't in line with what He's revealed to us in His Word. You know how I know that? It's not because I know anything about you. It's not because I'm pointing my finger at anybody in particular. It's because of what I know about myself. I've been there. I've gone through seasons in my life where I was the hypocrite in the pew. I've gone through seasons in my life where I did everything that I could to try and cover up my sin. Oh, I was at church all the time. I was at worship, Sunday morning Bible class, Sunday morning worship, Sunday evening worship, Wednesday night Bible study. But my life and my heart in those moments could not be farther from God. And maybe that's where you find yourself this morning. You know how God feels about that? 
it absolutely breaks his heart. And so as we look at the text in front of us in Jeremiah, the second chapter, as we look at the, the first eight verses of this chapter, God speaks directly to the nation of Judah. He looks at their sin. He looks at their unfaithfulness. And from his broken heart, he asks them three questions. As Christians, whenever we decide to live unfaithfully to Jesus, whenever we decide to live lives that aren't in step with who we claim to be as Christians, whenever we live lives where it becomes all about ourselves instead of about, uh, about Him, when it's all about glorifying me instead of glorifying Him, these are not just questions that God asked to Judah. These are questions that God asked to us. Maybe God is asking you these questions this morning as we walk through this text together. In this section of Scripture, we find three questions from God's broken heart. Question number one, he looks at the sinfulness of Judah. He looks at the sinfulness of his chosen people, and in the first three verses, ask, why don't you remember our relationship? Have you ever had a time where you sat down with an old photo album? an old photo book, and you flip throughout the pages and thought about all of those good memories that you have? have you, well, maybe it's not a photo book. Maybe if those have gone out of date or out of style, maybe it's just that you get on the app on your phone, the photo app. You scroll all the way to the top and see those pictures that were taken years ago. Have you ever taken a trip down memory lane? Well, you started to think about all these memories that you have, whether they be by yourself or whether they be with other people. And you start to get a little bit emotional. You start to get a little sentimental. It seems that's what God is doing in the first three verses of this chapter. He pulls out the photo book. He gets on the app and scrolls all the way to the top. God takes a trip down memory lane and He talks to His chosen people. He talks to Judah about the things He remembered about them. The things that He remembered about their relationship. Oh, God remembers it so vividly. He remembers every detail. He remembers it as if it happened yesterday. As he takes a trip down memory lane. As he goes back to the times that we would read about in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, or Deuteronomy, we find first that God remembered His people's devotion. He says right there at the beginning of verse 2, I remembered the devotion of your youth. He says, I remember how devoted you used to be. I remember how eager you used to be to please me that when we went through the wilderness, when I brought you out of Egypt, you followed me wherever I led you. God remembered their love. As God reflects on this, as God takes a trip down memory lane with His chosen people, this isn't just an outward devotion or obedience that he remembers. No, he says, I remember how in love we used to be. He compares the relationship that he used to have with Israel with the relationship that exists between a husband and wife, specifically on their honeymoon. He says, that's how in love we used to be. I was so in love with you, and you were so in love with me that we were inseparable from one another. He continues into verse 3, and he says, I remembered your position. Israel was holy to the Lord. You look at them now, that's a far cry from where they are in Jeremiah chapter 2. In the sin, the wickedness, and the evil that they're living in. But God says, I remember when you used to be holy. I remember when you were set apart for me. You were sanctified for my purposes and my purposes alone. He says, I remember your priority. He says, you were the first fruits of my harvest. The entire world belongs to God. You know why? 
Because He created it all. He made it. The entire world belongs to Him. And He looks at Israel and says, I remember what you used to be. How you were my number one priority. You were the first fruit of my harvest. I chose you out of all the nations in the world to be my chosen people. To reflect my glory to all of the other nations around you. And then He says at the end of verse 3, I remember the protection I provided you. How if anyone tried to take my first fruit, if anyone tried to hurt my people, he says immediately in verse 3, I brought guilt upon them and disaster came upon them. God takes a trip down memory lane. He looks at Judah in Jeremiah chapter 2 and he says, I remember what it used to be like. I remember the relationship we used to have. I remember every single detail about it. And the question that he wants to ask them is, why don't you? I remember your devotion. I remember your love. I remember your protection, your priority. I remember your position. You were holy and set apart. And the question he wants to ask is, why don't you remember that relationship? Can you hear God's broken heart? As he looks at Judah and asks them the question, why don't you remember our relationship, well, when we choose to live in sin, God asks us the same question. Why aren't you remembering our relationship? Even though you might not be remembering it right now, by the way you live and the decisions you make, I can assure you that God remembers it. God remembers every detail of your relationship with Him. He remembers what things used to be like. When things were so good, when the two of you were so close. God remembers when you were raised up out of the waters of baptism. You remember that moment? You had a smile on your face and tears streaming down your cheeks. God remembers the celebration that didn't just take place on earth, but the celebration that took place in heaven. According to Luke the 15th chapter, whenever a sinner repents of their sin, the angels in heaven themselves, along with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, rejoice. They have a great celebration. God remembers how devoted you used to be. He remembers how eager you used to be to please Him in every decision that you made. But it's not just outward. He remembers how you felt about Him. He remembers how in love you were with Him where you were His first priority and He was your first priority. A relationship and a connection of mutual love. God remembers the kind of life you used to live. Whenever you were holy to the Lord. When you weren't worried or concerned about all these different things in the world, but you were set apart for Him. You were set apart for His purposes. God remembers when He protected you from so many different things. When He protected you from things that you didn't even realize were going to come into your life because He shielded you from it. God remembers when you were at worship every single time the doors were open. Those times when you wouldn't miss an opportunity to be here with your brothers and sisters in Christ worshiping the living Savior. God remembers when you had that relationship with Him that was like a husband and wife on their honeymoon. When you were so close, when you were so connected, the question that God wants to ask this morning is why don't you remember it? With a broken heart, God reflects back and He remembers every detail. Why don't you? Why don't I? 
Questions from God's broken heart. Number two, God looks at the sinfulness of Judah and He asks them the question, why did you leave me? In verses 4 and 5. Whenever a breakup happens, see that the language in this text is almost like a divorce is taking place. In verse 3, the Bible talks about, rather verse 2, how they, Israel loved God as a bride. And it was like they were on their honeymoon together. But then when you move into verses 4 and 5, you find Israel leaving the Lord, committing spiritual adultery, going after other things. Whenever breakups happen in this life, whether it be high school, college, whether it be a boyfriend, girlfriend, or whether it be a spouse, usually one person is left asking, what's wrong with me? What's so wrong with me that this person chose to leave me? Maybe if I could change this about myself, or if I would have made this decision, if I wouldn't have made this decision, then this person would still be here. They would still be in this relationship with me. What's so wrong with me that they decided to leave me? And I think a little bit tongue-in-cheek, when you look at the beginning of verse 5, that's the question that God is asking Judah. He says, what wrong did your fathers find in me? He says, there must be something. He says, there must be something wrong with my character. There must be something wrong with my nature. There must be something wrong with how I've interacted with you in the past for you to do this to me. Well, what did they do to God? Verse 5, they left Him. Oh, they used to be so in love. They used to be so close to one another. They were one another's number one priority. And now God says, look at the distance. Look how far you are away from me. He says, what's so wrong with me that you created this distance, that you turned your back on me and walked in the other direction? What did they leave him for? God continues. He says, what wrong did your fathers find in me that they went far from me and went after worthlessness, the ESV says. That Hebrew word for worthlessness is also used in other contexts to talk about idols. Idols that are useless, worthless. Psalms 118 describes them as having mouths, but they can't speak. They have eyes, but they can't see. They have a body and arms and legs, but they can't do anything. They're worthless. They're useless. Israel was in a relationship with the Creator of all things. The Creator of the universe. And God says, what's wrong with me that you went far from me after things that are worthless? He says, you had it all. And now what do you have? Oh, it wasn't just that they chased after things that are worthless, but the end of verse 5 says that they themselves became worthless. We become what we worship. Psalms 118, after it describes the, the uselessness of idols, how they have eyes but can't see and ears that can't hear, the psalmist says those who make them become like them, and so do all who trust in them. God says, you were my number one priority in life. You were the first fruit of my harvest. You were set apart for me and my purposes only. But now look what you've done. You've left me. You've chased after things that are worthless, things that aren't going to benefit you, and you have become worthless yourselves. So go back to the beginning question. What's wrong with God? What's so wrong with God's nature or character or actions that they just had to do that? Well, if you skip down to Jeremiah, the same, still the second chapter, but verse number 17, God asked them, Have you not brought this upon yourself by forsaking the Lord your God when He led you in the way? When you look at verses 4 and 5, when you read throughout the entirety of the chapter, it is not God 
that wronged Israel. It was Israel that wronged God by turning their backs on Him and choosing to walk in the other direction. So God, He sits there with a broken heart wondering, why did you leave me? What's so wrong with me that you went after things that aren't going to benefit you at all? Whenever we choose to live in sin, God asks us the same question. God's heart still breaks today wondering, why did you leave me? What's so wrong with me? Let's give him an answer. I mean, God's asking the question. What's so wrong with God that you made the decision to leave him? A phrase we oftentimes hear in breakups, it's not you, it's me. Maybe you've heard that before. Maybe you turned it the other way. Whenever our relationship with God starts going in the wrong direction, that phrase is always true. God, it's not you. It's me. I'm the one that chose to go far from you. It's like we oftentimes say, if you look up and you see distance between you and God, if you look up and you see that you're not as close to God as you used to be, who moved? Oh, it wasn't God who moved, but it was me. Have you not brought this on yourself? by We might get really good at pretending it goes the other way. We might get really good at pretending that that's not the case, but whenever we leave God, when we turn our backs and walk the other direction, we have not been wronged by Him. We're the ones who are wronging Him. Jesus asked two questions in Matthew 16 and verse number 26. He says, What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? You know what the answer to those two questions are? Two questions, but they have the same answer. Nothing. There's nothing in this world that's worth more than your soul. There's nothing in this world that's worth more than your relationship with God. In fact, Jesus says the entire world itself is not worth more than God. So comparatively speaking, when I leave God, when there's distance between me and Him, I'm always leaving Him for something that's worthless. Well, no, I'm leaving God because I need to pursue my job. I'm leaving God because I, I want to be a better friend or I want to be a better friend. No, when you turn around and walk away from God, you're always leaving Him for something that's worthless, something that's useless, something that has no eternal significance. And then we become what we worship. Don't be surprised when you turn and walk away from God and you chase after worthless things that your life becomes worthless itself. Question number three. Questions from God's broken heart. He looks at the sinfulness of Judah and he asks him a third question in verses 6-8. through eight. Why did you forget about me? Why aren't you thinking about me? I mean, notice what God did for Israel beginning in verse 6. God brought them up from the land of Egypt. He led them in the wilderness, in a land of deserts and pits, a land of drought and deep darkness, a land that passes through where no man dwells. He brought them into a plentiful land to enjoy its fruit and its good things. Look at what God had done for Israel. Maybe the question is, what hadn't God done for Israel? He had blessed them in so many different ways. He had led them. He had poured out so many different things on His chosen people. God says, look at what I did for you. And then two times in verses 6-8, through eight, He says this. He says, they did not say, where is the Lord? Not even for a moment. 
Not even the rulers, the prophets, the priests took a minute to say, well, where's God? Where's the God who did all of this for us? Where's the God who blessed us in all these different ways? They had forgotten about the God who had done so much for them. The God who had led them. The God who had protected them. The God who had provided for them. They didn't even miss Him for a second. They didn't even stop to think, well, where's God in this? What does God's Word have to say about this? You could hear God's broken heart as He looks at the children of Judah and says, why didn't you? Why didn't you think about me? Why didn't you miss me? Why did you forget about me? When we choose to walk away, He asks us the same question. The same question comes from the same broken heart. Why did you forget about me? Whenever I was a lot younger, my sister and I decided that we wanted a beagle puppy. We wanted more than anything else. And so we were constantly begging our parents to get us a beagle puppy. Eventually they gave in, but on one condition. We had to be the ones to take care of it. Parents, you might know how this goes. We, we, we had to be the ones to feed it, to take it out of its cage, to run it around, to make sure that it has water. And we had to do that every single day. My sister and I agreed, of course we'll do that. Definitely, that, that's what we want to do anyway. After a couple weeks, the newness started to wear off. The excitement started to go away. And the responsibility of taking care of, of Sandy, that's not a picture of her, but exactly what she looked like. Taking care of Sandy, the responsibility shifted from me and my sister to my parents. So without even telling us, my parents just sold her. Two weeks later, my sister and I were outside in the backyard. And we just so happened to look over at the cage where Sandy was. And the grass had grown up. It was probably about knee high. And we asked, where's Sandy? Where's her dog? Of course, we were informed that she had been gone for two weeks. And we didn't even miss her. We didn't even think about her. Now, you might think that it takes a pretty horrible person to do that. Maybe it does. Maybe it takes a pretty horrible person to forget about an innocent dog for two whole weeks. That dog didn't even cross our minds. But isn't that exactly what we do with God sometimes? How often do you think about God throughout the week? How often does He cross your mind? How often do you think about what does His Word say in this circumstance? I'm afraid that we allow our lives to get so busy that just like Judah, we don't even stop to think, where is God? Where's God who has blessed us in all these different ways, who has done all these different things for us? We get so busy, we get so caught up in the things that we're doing on a daily basis that we don't even miss Him for a second. We don't even think about Him. Two weeks have passed and the grass has grown up in the puppy cage and the dog's not there. Two weeks have passed and not once have I opened up my Bible. Not once have I gotten on my knees to pray. Two weeks have passed and God... I haven't even entertained the thought. What if we took the time that we spend here and we eliminated it? Would you think about God throughout the week? Would you go for two, three, four weeks and not even miss Him? Think about what God has done for us. James chapter 1 and verse 17 says that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Just like the people of Judah, God has blessed us in so many different ways. In fact, James says if you have something good in your life, it's been given to you from the hand of God. God continually blesses our lives every day and we struggle to even think about Him. 
God blesses our lives time after time and pours out abundant blessings on us. We don't even miss Him for a second. In his retirement, Thomas Jefferson founded the University of Virginia. He had such a relaxed code of discipline on his students because he loved them and trusted them so much. Well, his trust proved to be pretty misplaced whenever a riot happened on campus a few days after it opened from the students and many of the professors ended up getting hurt. The next day they had a board meeting. Of course, Thomas Jefferson was there. He was the founder. They had the professors on one side and the students involved in the riot on the other side. Thomas Jefferson stood up to address the crowd. And all that he said was, this is the most painful event in my life. And after he said that, he became so overwhelmed with emotion that he started crying and couldn't get another word out. As Thomas Jefferson sat down with his head in his hands weeping, another board member got up and said, what we want you to do is if you were involved in the riot, write your name down on this piece of paper because we have to have some kind of discipline here. It wasn't what they expected the students to do. But every single one of them got up and wrote their name on that piece of paper, a list as long as the paper was. A few weeks later, someone asked them why they did it. Why would you write your name down? You could have gotten away with it if you wouldn't have put your own name down. If you wouldn't have convicted yourself. And one of the students said, I wasn't convinced by Jefferson's words, but I was convicted by his tears. Maybe it's time to do some spiritual self-reflection. Where are you in your relationship with God? How close are you to Him? Is God brokenhearted over your life this morning? Is God with a broken heart asking you this morning, why don't you remember our relationship? I, I remember everything about it. Why don't you? Is God asking you this morning, why'd you leave me? Why'd you turn your back and decide to walk away? Is God asking, why'd you forget about me? Why, why don't you miss me throughout the week? Why don't you think about me? Why don't you think about my word? Is God brokenhearted over your life this morning? Is He asking you these three questions from His broken heart this morning? If He is, can I tell you that you're not too far gone? Can I tell you that you're not outside the limit of His grace? That the Father's arms are open? You can be restored. You can be forgiven. Once again, be in that close, intimate relationship. It's like what Bob Pierce said one time. His prayer was, let my heart be broken with the things that break God's heart. That's what we should want this morning. I want my heart to break when God's heart breaks. Psalms 51 says that's what God wants. The sacrifices of God, David says, after his sin with Bathsheba, are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You can give that to Him this morning. You can offer that sacrifice this morning. Allow your heart to be broken with what breaks His. And respond to Him as we stand and as we sing.